the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. You add snow on that green field and now all of a sudden white sheep against the backdrop of snow look dirty. You, you might look pretty good in a crowd of people. You know, as far as like how you are as a person. But when Jesus is the backdrop, we all look a little dirty. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us do not measure up to the perfect standard of God. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. All of us are fallen. Most likely you haven't committed murder. Maybe you've never taken something that wasn't yours. But as Pastor Gary points out in today's message, God's standard is much higher than that. When he created man, he made us perfect inside and out. But the minute Adam and Eve decided to go against God's design and commands, their hearts chose rebellion over obedience. They chose self over God. Every man and woman's sense has inherited that nature, and we all need a Savior. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, as he continues his message, The Truth About the Human Condition. Romans 3.10, the Bible says, There is none righteous, no, not one. A couple verses later, Romans 3.12 It says, there is no one who does good, not even one. David would write his own story in Psalm 51, verse 5, when he would say, Surely I was sinful from birth, from the time I was conceived in my mother's womb. He understands sin nature is something we're born with. Sin nature is something we act upon. Paul would write in Romans 7, verse 18, he would say, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, in my sinful nature, there dwells no good thing. Mankind is fundamentally flawed and sinful from birth. And unless you understand that, then you will never receive the remedy for that. And instead, what you will tend to do is what the world tends to do, who believes myth number one, is that you will constantly be trying to improve your condition that cannot be improved upon by human effort. Which leads to myth number two, that man can improve his condition through good deeds. And I'm going to tread out here into an area where angels fear fear to tread, but I think this is uh, 
an important thing that needs to be said concerning some of the dynamics of our culture these days because it's a very trendy thing in our culture right now uh, to, to try to improve oneself and others um, through social justice. And particularly among millennials, they thrive on the idea of the more I do to better other people, the better I am as a person. Uh, I'm talking about social justice issues like, you know, clean water initiatives and sex trafficking and AIDS relief and uh, uh, eradicating world hunger. Now, now let let me be clear as I tread into this area that social justice can be a very good thing. Where we see oppression and suffering and mistreatment of others, it should motivate us to do something to help them. In fact, Isaiah opens up the book of Isaiah with a strong exhortation to God's people to make sure that you take care of people who are oppressed or mistreated. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17, he says, learn to do right, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. So the Bible exhorts us to relieve human suffering when we can, where we can. What I'm talking about is how oftentimes the motivation for social causes, at least among non-Christians, is often an attempt to feel better about one's sinful condition by doing good for others. This is how it often works. In other words, without God in the equation, just talking purely from the standpoint of just you know taking up a cause and, and doing something good, without God in the equation... Some people are subconsciously trying to assuage the guilt of their own sinful condition by engaging in social causes, which will, in the process, of course, help others, which is a good thing, but which in the process will also give this false sense of intrinsic good to those who are doing the helping. And they will believe the idea that, quote, I'm a morally good person because I'm doing morally good things. There's actually a term for this. It's called moralistic therapeutic deism. You can write it down. Moralistic therapeutic deism. It was a term that was first coined by sociologist Christian Smith and Melinda Lundquist Denton, who wrote a book in 2005 entitled Soul Searching the Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. And it's the idea, this moralistic therapeutic deism, it's the idea that it's therapeutic to do good moral things and that it actually becomes a form of religion, deism, to help oneself feel better about one's own immoral condition. So everybody get the idea? It's like if I do something morally good, it helps to compensate for my immoral condition, which isn't really true, but it gives us that false sense of that feeling. And the authors say, the sociologists mentioned in this book, the authors say that the system is, quote, moralistic because it, quote, is about inculcating a moralistic approach to life. It teaches that central to living a good and happy life is being a good moral person. Now, again, I want to emphasize here that all those causes can be wonderful. And if those causes are done in the name of Jesus for the purpose of providing immediate relief, 
and eternal hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ, then that's the perfect marriage. The, the idea of helping others in the cause of social justice, if it's married with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it's the perfect combination. Because now you're not only giving something temporary relief from their suffering, but you're also giving them eternal hope through the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And absent the reality of the gospel, then social causes give temporary relief, but not eternal significance to those being helped. And those who are doing the helping then believe this deception that by being such a morally good person and and engaging in all these wonderfully morally good causes, I am a morally good person. That isn't true. And, And it's a deception of our culture. I'm all about giving the cup of cold water in Jesus' name. I'm all about that. But the question is, is the gospel tied to causes of social justice? We cannot improve our, social con- our, our sinful condition no matter what good that we do. Because our sinful condition is an underlying issue that cannot be improved upon by human effort. No matter how good the intention and no, ma- no matter how wonderful the immediate result Our problem is the human heart, and that cannot be improved upon by human effort. We are tainted and stained and sinful from birth. And if we don't recognize this sinful condition, and we just try to placate our sinful condition, and we try to do all these other good things to try to make ourselves feel moral, we deceive ourselves. Man is not basically good, and man cannot improve his sinful condition through good works. You know, years ago, I was looking up at my house, you know, and... It's, it's a beautiful thing to be a homeowner, but it can also be kind of a burdensome thing from time to time, and you have to do repair work. So I'm looking up at the gutters of my house, and the gutters are starting to hang off, and, and, and the boards, the soffits underneath that the gutters are connected to were all, were all rotten. So I decided I could either you know, get up there, pull all the gutters off, start painting, you know, remove all the rotten wood, or I can, I can call somebody and have them wrapped in vinyl. So I had this guy come out, and he says, oh, yeah, Mr. Amber, we can, wrap, we can wrap all that in vinyl. I said, well, you know, a lot of it's rotten. He said, that's all right. Once we wrap it, you'll never know, and it won't disintegrate any further. I just thought, well, that's kind of like the human heart, isn't it? You know, I'm rotten to the core, but just go ahead and wrap me up. Look, make me look good. But it doesn't really change the interior condition, though. Still rotten. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 23, 28, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Number three, the third myth that our culture believes It's that God grades on the curve. (laughs) Some people think that it's about a ranking system with God. That as long as I'm not as bad as the next guy, I'll get a good grade with God. There's some people who actually think that they will get to heaven based on how they do compared to others. It's it's only about being just a step ahead, about a... Uh, you know, beyond other people. That's the concept that some people have. It's like the old joke I'm sure many of you heard before about the two guys who were hiking in the woods and they came upon a bear. And so as soon as they saw the bear, they started running for their lives. Well, one of the hikers decided to stop real quick, change, change his shoes, get rid of the hiking boots, put on his running shoes. And his friend said to him, what in the world are you doing? You can't outrun a bear. He says, I don't need to outrun a bear. I just need to be able to outrun you. I mean, that, that's kind of the idea. It's like, well, you know, I, I, all I need to do is be better, a little bit better than you, and then I'm good to go. You know, you might suffer a horrible fate, 
But as long as I can outpace you, as long as I'm a little bit better than you, then I'm good to go. But the standard is not how you measure up against other people. The standard is how you measure up against Christ. And we all fall woefully short. You know, white sheep in a pasture can look beautiful against a green field. But you add snow on that green field, and now all of a sudden, white sheep against the backdrop of snow look dirty. You, you might look pretty good in a crowd of people. You know, as far as like how you are as a person. But when Jesus is the backdrop, we all look a little dirty. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us do not measure up to the perfect standard of God. So these are some myths that people believe about the human condition. Now, let's take a look at how God assesses humanity. If you have your Bible still open there to Isaiah 64, look at verse 6 with me. Because in verse 6, Isaiah, really this is God speaking through Isaiah, makes four comparisons about the human condition to other things. These are four similes because he's going to use the word like four times right here in verse 6. He says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep over us. So he's going to give us four truths about our condition. This is important. Okay, At first when we go through this list, you're going to feel really depressed. Like, thanks, Pastor Debbie Downer. You know, I, I really like coming to... But, but hold on, because there's a beautiful response to all of this. But we, we need to... Listen, you know, have you ever been to a doctor's office and you didn't like to hear the diagnosis, but you knew that if the diagnosis is given to me truthfully and honestly, then there might be a remedy for my cure. And we don't like to hear the diagnosis. Uh, we wish we'd never hear the diagnosis. But in order to get the proper cure, the proper remedy, we have to properly evaluate the condition. And so Isaiah is going to help us to understand the human condition. Our culture and our world paints a very different picture, but it's not reality. And if you really want the cure, you have to understand the reality. And here's the assessment from God, four different truths. Number one, he says, we are like one who is unclean. That's the first comparison. Now, in the Old Testament, certain animals, certain actions, and certain conditions were considered unclean in Old Testament times, meaning that they were not accepted by God because of a designation or a defect. For example, certain animals were considered unclean, like pigs were considered unclean. Certain uh, actions, like touching a dead person in the Old Testament, was considered unclean for a living person. Don't touch a dead person. And certain people, certain illnesses, uh, like leprosy, uh, made a person in the Old Testament unclean. In fact, if you had leprosy, uh, you had to announce yourself by shouting, unclean, unclean, wherever you went so that other people could take fair warning and not be contaminated with your uncleanness. So we see that in Scripture. And so when Isaiah says, hey, we're all like one who was unclean, whether he's talking about unclean animals or unclean actions or unclean you know, illnesses, the idea here is that our sinful condition makes us unworthy and unpresentable to God. We're like outcasts. We're like outcasts. Our, our condition makes us unworthy and unpresentable. 
Number two, he compares us to filthy rags, and he says specifically our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Now, I I often poke fun at the Message Bible because it's a a terrible translation. It's not even a translation, it's a paraphrase. Uh, And so I often make fun. I actually looked up what the Message Bible had to say about this particular term, filthy rags. And the Message Bible said that our righteous acts are like grease-stained rags. All right, so I still dislike the Message Bible. Because that makes it sound like you worked on your car, you know, and so you just wiped your hands a little bit. Listen, that is not what this verse means. It's more graphic than that. Uh, In fact, it is so graphic, this comparison, filthy rags, it is so graphic that in the 19th century, the great preacher of the 1800s, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, would say this, quote, the expression filthy rags in the Hebrew is one which we could not with propriety explain in the present assembly. He's in the 1800s, but he said this, the full meaning of the comparison is not meant for the human ear, end quote. That's what Spurgeon said. He said, this is so graphic, I'm not even going to say it in my congregation. But, you know, listen, we're in the 21st century now, so I have no problem telling you, but the fact is that it was meant for the human ear because God put it in his word. And And he doesn't want us to avoid it. He wants to understand exactly what it means. And the original Hebrew here is telling us that our best efforts and our best intentions and our right acts are like menstrual cloths. That's how this verse translates. Our rightness, our righteousness in comparison to God's perfectness and holiness, our righteousness is like menstrual cloths. That's what the Hebrew means here. How do you like that description? God sees the human heart as filthy. Number three, he says in the third comparison, we are like a shriveled leaf. Now, of course, a green leaf is a picture of something flourishing and vibrant, but a shriveled leaf is something that is decaying and dying. Sin doesn't make us flourish. Sin is a terminal illness that we are all dying from. New King James in the ESV says we fade like a leaf, and indeed we do. Sin takes a toll until finally, number four, our sins sweep us away like the wind, meaning We have little power against temptation. Our sins carry us along like the wind until eventually it sweeps us away and we are no more. That's why in Romans 6.23 it says the wages of sin is death. Death is the result because of our sinful condition. But the rest of Romans 6.23 is the beauty, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So then the question becomes, if we dismantle the myths of our culture and if we accept the truths of how God assesses the human condition, and since the human condition is sinful, and since no amount of good efforts can compensate for that, in light of all of these, Isaiah asks a question that is an important question right in the middle of this chapter, and it's the latter part of verse 5, and I'll just put it up on the screens. How then can we be saved? 
I mean, if the reality is that the human heart is wicked and sinful, that no amount of good efforts can compensate for that, how then can we be saved? Which implies we need a Savior. So God did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Isaiah begins this chapter. I want you to notice with me in your Bibles, verse 1. He begins this chapter by saying in verse 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That's exactly what God did for us. 700 years after Isaiah would write this, God would come from heaven to earth in the form of Jesus Christ, taking on flesh, becoming like us, to die for us. He came to save us because we cannot save ourselves. Twice in Isaiah, chapter 59 and chapter 63, twice God says, my own arm worked salvation for me because he knows that we are incapable of saving ourselves. So God says, I will work salvation on your behalf for my own namesake, my own arm will work salvation. The single act of Jesus Christ dying on a cross for our sins satisfied the wrath of God that was directed to us because of our sinful condition. The punishment that we deserved, everybody get this, the punishment that we deserved was placed on Jesus So that by believing in him and having faith in what he did for us by dying in our place, by taking the punishment intended for us on himself, we might be saved. Through faith in his finished work, not because we deserve it, not because we can earn it, not because we can do anything to gain the greater grace of God than what he's already determined by his own initiative to bestow upon us. He is a gracious, loving Father in heaven who saw the human condition and realized we are pitiful, we are sinful, we are wicked. So I will send my only Son to die on a cross to redeem wicked people for the righteousness of God. Do I hear an amen in the house of God today? That's what God has done for us. And that's why Isaiah in verse 8, take a quick glimpse, we got, we, we got to close up here. In verse 8, that's why he calls God our Father. Because he says there in verse 8, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. And we are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And he uses this term about God because like a loving father who would rescue a helpless child, so our Father in heaven rescued us from sin and death. And we are like clay because we are helpless We are lifeless until God comes along as the potter and breathes life into us and makes something beautiful out of our lives, loving us, forgiving us, and saving us. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart, but the solution to the human heart is to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ who loved you and died for every sinful thought and action you've ever had. And in Revelation 21, verse 5, Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new, including you and me. 
Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor Gary Hamrick's verse-by-verse study through the book of Isaiah here on Cornerstone Connection. We're glad we're able to bring you these teachings straight from God's Word. But we're even more glad you chose to spend time with us today. We love hearing from our listeners. So please give us a call if you have a moment and tell us how you've been impacted by this ministry. Our phone number here is 703-771-1500. When you call, let us know how we can be praying for you. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. If you missed any part of this broadcast or would like to explore more of Pastor Gary's teachings as he's been working his way through the Bible, we invite you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our entire archive is available there along with companion study resources. Just look under the teachings tab. You can also download our mobile app to connect with Scripture whenever and wherever you happen to be. There's a link to that under the teaching tab. Or search for Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. If you're in the Leesburg area, you're invited to join us at Cornerstone Chapel for our weekly services. You'll find more information at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for in today's study of Isaiah. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. No place to go But still you know